Good morning. I'm going to show a video um, in, in, in just a minute. And then I'm going to speak out of Mark chapter 9, verse 17. I'm not going to um, speak on that yet. Uh, but I want to show this video. It's a little bit long, but I, I, I was really surprised it was six minutes. It felt like more like two or three minutes. Uh, we're in a series called My Healer. And it's called My Healer, not just healing, uh, because it's this idea of that we're seeking to be in the presence of God. We're not just seeking his healing. There are tangible benefits, tangible manifestations of God's presence when we're around him. In the Old Testament, we see people being struck dead. We see things happening, people being disciplined and punished. And under the new agreement, we come into his presence freely and openly, and we receive gifts, and we receive gifts to other people. That's the idea of the charismatic small c, uh, that we have gifts to receive and give. And then the, the Pentecostal small p, not the big p of the de- denomination or some sort of doctrine, but just this idea of Pentecost, that we can experience God in overwhelming ways that actually change the direction of our life and the direction of the life of our families, the direction of those people around us. So uh, last week we, we talked about a faith gap. So I hope you guys have been praying towards this is where I, you're honest and this is where I'm at. And I want to be over there uh, physically or financially or just emotionally. I, I'm in depression, but I have, I have this view of myself over here where I'm not depressed anymore. And there's a gap that only faith can, can bridge. And it could be di- I'm diseased over here and over there I'm walking in wholeness and freedom. There's a gap there that only faith, only confidence in God can fill that gap. And we see that with the woman with the issue of blood, don't we? She has a faith gap that for many years she's doing all the right things, everything that she knows to do, and she has a little tiny bit of faith, and she extends that faith, and she goes out into public. She breaks the, her community's laws of being in public, being around people, and she touches Jesus, and she's healed. So we want to have a faith gap. And the week before, we talked, I talked about the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, that means salvation. And we looked at how most of us only use one-third of sozo. We only actually extend our faith to salvation of eternal life, deliverance from our emotions and from our turmoil. And then we don't extend our faith into this healing. But when, when Jesus says sozo, when he says he's here to heal, it means he's here to sozo. He's here to save. It's he's here to bring you eternal life. He's here to deliver you from tor- torment and the tormentor and those that torment you and even the torment that you bring upon yourself. And he's here to heal you physically and to prosper you physically. There's a wholeness that we want to go after. And that wholeness isn't found by working really hard. It's found by believing that I'm acceptable in his eyes to come to him and be in his presence. You know, a a five-year-old has no qualms of asking over and over and over and over and over again. And we have no qualms in changing the diaper of somebody over and over and over again. Okay, of, of a child. That's just, that's just what they do. But we have to take great joy in them. We focus on the beauty of them, not on what they can't do or what they are doing that's wrong. And, and when we have begin to utilize our faith and that I'm God's child, I'm, <clears throat> I'm one of his, he has enough favor for everybody and I'm one of his most favored. You know, but then I have to, when I begin to receive that, I look at my neighbor and say, he's one of God's most favored. And that there's, there's plenty of salvation to go around. It's not like, I get eternal life and I get healing and I get um, delivered and now there's none for you. It's actually now that I've... And um, this, the, the, the topic, uh, the title of it today is why your tiny bit of faith is more than enough. And I want to challenge you not to try to get more faith. 
I want to challenge you to exercise the little tiny bit of faith that you have. We often wait for years and even decades, and we put ourselves on the sidelines hoping that we have more faith, and we don't even exercise a little bit of faith. And when you exercise a little bit of faith, whether you fell or not, whether, whether, it, whether, whether it, anything comes to pass or not, you've actually then grown your faith. And there is a gift of faith that God gives us. It's an increase in faith, and we can ask for that. But in our life, we daily extend this seed of faith. All right, We daily extend, and we're actually generous in how we extend it. We don't wait until we're pretty sure that that faith gap could be bridged, and we see them going in the right direction. Then we encourage them or pray for them. We sue it when they're in their desperate state. So this is a video of a, of a doctor. So we can turn off the, flip off these lights here. There you go, and we're going to watch this video. It was the morning of September 20th, 2006. Jeff Markin recalls heading for work as usual. What he doesn't remember is driving himself to the hospital. He had called his boss and told him he didn't feel well. His boss was concerned and convinced Jeff to go to the emergency room. Somehow Jeff made it as he got the intensive care unit that morning. An alert call came over the PA system uh, that someone had arrived at the hospital with a massive deadly heart attack. And then a second call uh, went out over the PA system and specifically asked for me because I was the cardiologist on that day. When I arrived there, it was like a war zone. It was like being in battle. It was chaos. Everyone there fighting to keep this man alive. The ER staff worked on Jeff for 40 minutes. They shocked him a dozen times. Despite their efforts, there was no response. Once Dr. Crandall decided the team had done everything possible, he called the time of death. While a nurse prepared Jeff's body for the morgue, Dr. Crandall updated the charts. Well, as soon as my note was completed, I walked out through the door to this emergency room. I heard this voice say, turn around and pray for that man. And I wanted to ignore that voice because I said to myself, how can I pray for that man? He's dead. He's gone. There's no life in him. So I kept walking and the voice came back again. And the voice said, turn around and pray for that man. And I stopped and I thought to myself, I need to honor the Lord. So I turned around and she's looking at me like, what are you doing? Why are you here? And I stood there next to that corpse and I opened my mouth and these words came out Father God I cry out for this man's soul if he does not know you as his Lord and Savior Father raise him from the dead now in Jesus name I remember staring at bright lights and they were swirling around out of those uh, bright lights uh, came an image and he told me that he was there to look over me and make sure that everything was going to be fine. And the other doctor walked in the room and I pointed to him. I said, shock this man one more time. And he looked at me, he said, Dr. Crandall, we can't shock him. He's dead. There's no life in him. He's gone. And I said, for me, shock him one more time. And that doctor out of respect and honor for me, went over to that body with those defibrillator paddles and put his paddles on that patient and shocked him, 
shocked Jeff, and immediately an instant heartbeat came back. Instant, perfect, regular, which we'd never seen before. Perfect heartbeat came back. And then suddenly, this abdomen started moving and started breathing. And then a couple moments later, the fingers started twitching. They immediately moved Jeff to the intensive care unit. Three days later, Jeff woke up with no evidence of brain or organ damage. Once I, I woke up, my daughter Jillian was there, and that's when she told me what had happened. When I came in Monday morning, Jeff was sitting up in bed. And I said, where, where were you that day that I prayed for you in the emergency room? And he said, Dr. Crandall, I was in total darkness. And I was so disappointed. And I said, Jeff, what were you disappointed about? He said, I was alone for eternity. He asked me at that time if I was willing to accept God, my life, and into my heart. I just opened my arms and accepted God. Uh, it was just a very emotional time. And, you know, I remember you know, crying <laughs> in his arms. Today, Jeff is back at work and gets regular checkups with Dr. Crandall. He still has no heart problems or residual complications. Be so fortunate, and uh, that's been part of, I guess, my uh, daily battle is why me? Why have I been <clears throat> so fortunate uh, to have God shine on me? Uh, I guess a second time. This day that I prayed for Jeff was a day of very little faith. It wasn't one of my big God days. And when I walked into that emergency room, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to stay and pray because I was so much in a rush with my work. But I prayed and I didn't have a lot of faith backing that prayer up that day. But the Lord asked me to do it, so I honored the Lord and prayed. And that's all we need, just a spark of faith like that mustard seed. Miracles are real, and they're real today. Pretty good story, isn't it? It's pretty good. It's really well done, too. Um, so I, I want to talk about a couple things. First is that idea that and we talked about this probably eight weeks ago when Jesus says to the woman with the issue of blood, he says it several times to different people, he says, your faith has made you whole. Faith doesn't heal you. Your faith connects you to the healer. And we talked about, does your key turn your car on? And I asked Buddy, who's a car guy, and Buddy's like, no, it, it turns your ignition on, which turns your car on. So if, if we take that and we simplify... Um, wrongly, incorrectly, that my faith heals me, then it's dependent upon me and not my healer. So her faith connects her to Jesus, which connects her to healing. So we often judge ourselves unworthy of healing, unworthy of, of uh, deliverance, unworthy of uh, more prosperous or more blessed life because our faith is so small. And we're waiting for God to give us something before we do something, and he's already given us 
the little seed of faith that all of us has. And so we want to activate that faith. So that little tiny bit of faith is more than enough. And I, I was fascinated because Debbie Geyer sent this to me and I, I watched it yesterday, yesterday morning, uh, this, this little video on Facebook. And he says, it wasn't a day of big faith. If you're waiting for a day of big faith, you're going to be waiting a long time. Your part is your little bit of faith extended. God's part is the big miracle healing part. We want to regularly, you know, there's a story of Jesus being a generous sower. He sows in all different kinds. He, he sows. It's not the birds of the, of the field, the demons are going to come pluck it away. But he sows generously all the time. And there's stuff growing all the time. And then our part is to be generous sowers of our faith that we have. And uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood had barely enough faith. And we're going to read out of Mark 9, Mark chapter 9, about a, about a dad who had very little faith. And he actually declares his very little faith. And there is something, there, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's some, some faith teaching that gets pieces right, you know, in the 80s and stuff like that. And then they take it to the wrong level. So what we always want to have is not a balance, but we always want to have a, an, an anchor. And the anchor's in the cross so that we, we hear the things of the Holy Spirit, but we can follow it with wisdom, with our intellect. But if we take faith to be something that's not, then we're always ruining things, using it as a wrong kind of tool to get stuff. And to have things happen that don't happen. So we rise our faith up. I'm going to get blank. I'm going to experience blank. And it's based on my faith. And we get energized in our soul, not really our spirit, but our emotions and our intellect get jazzed. It can get jazzed for six months or six years. And then we don't see it happen. The relationship is ruined. Um, Somebody passes away. The job doesn't happen. Your kids go wrong. And what? Jesus, the presence of Jesus. We don't depend upon ourselves for healing. And there's things we do and we keep extending our faith. We've talked before, if you're depressed, you begin to extend your faith and you begin to declare that you have a sound mind, a good mind, that you're full of the joy of the Lord. And, and on, on any day that you're not depressed, you even increase that and you sow a higher amount of faith. But you sow that even while you're depressed, you're sowing that, that seed. You're, 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 you're extending your faith. And you're not, you're not bringing it back. So if you're saying... I'm just going to use depression, okay? If you're saying, I'm depressed, you're declaring I'm depressed all the time. All you're doing is stating the facts. But what faith does, faith says, I will extend my faith to declare something bigger than my current experience. And you're not saying I'm not depressed. You're saying I am whole and I am full. I am full of the joy. I have access to the Spirit of God. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you're declaring a higher faith. So we, it's that extension of that faith. So Mark chapter 9 It's after the transfiguration in verse 17. Actually, let's see. I'm going to read uh, verse 14. It's after the transfiguration. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. Uh, with the other disciples that weren't with Jesus at the transfiguration. As soon as all the people about, a man in the crowd gives the answer. This is the, this is the man's in the crowd. This is the dad's answer. We, almost, we often miss that they were arguing before Jesus got there. And you have to ask, what do you think they were arguing about? Well, here, here's an answer, alludes to an answer. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. They could not. Okay, so that's my first point. Is what were the what were the, the, the teachers of the law and the disciples the people arguing about? It doesn't say, but it says the argument centered around the disciples not being able to um, heal this child, right? And so the question is, what are you arguing about instead of what are you instead of acting out? We spend so much time arguing why God shouldn't heal me or doesn't heal people instead of acting out that we're supposed to lay hands and believe that people are going to be healed. We argue so much about that, the, well, demons aren't this and demons aren't that and deliverance doesn't happen and Jesus used it back then, but it's not needed now. Instead of acting out the Great Commission or Jesus' commandments, that he says, I do what my Father does and I give you the power and the authority to do what I did, which is to lay hands on people and see demons cast out. Whether it's demons, if you see demons as something that's there, it doesn't. But we argue all these other these doing about, okay? And we, we see that clearly. We see it in several different points where Jesus just comes in and he cuts all the, I was going to say, use an abbreviated thing for, you know, manure, but I won't. But that's really, that, that's the harshness that Jesus has with it, doesn't it? Brood of vipers, you wicked, wicked, perverse, not because they're out there doing evil, but because they're talking about so much instead of acting it out. And we... Uh, often allow the prayers that don't get answered to determine our level of faith. So, you know, Victoria's been sick for three and a half weeks. She's missed five days of school. You guys are praying for her. So when do we stop praying for her? Do we stop praying for her when the doctor tells us that she's got a problem and has to go to surgery, which she doesn't? Do, do we stop praying for her when she's in the hospital? And do we, or we, do we just keep believing for complete, absolute, whole healing, a miraculous healing? And yes, God uses doctors, and yes, God uses all of the physical therapy, all of those things, all your diet, your exercise, all of those things. But that all could be true, but it doesn't. That's not what He calls us to do. He, does, he calls us to pray and to believe that people will be healed. Okay. And then this, the, in verse 18, let's go down here. This is the dad telling just to Jesus. Whenever it seizes him, it throws spirit, but they could not. Here's what's interesting. The dad describes what happens to the son. Jesus never says, no, he doesn't. D- Jesus never denies the facts. He doesn't say, your son's not in pain. He doesn't say, your son's not demon depressed, oppressed. He doesn't say, that's a lack of faith right there. Faith and praying for faith and believing and extending your faith isn't denying the facts. In the heyday of the faith movement, if you sneeze and you say, I think I have allergies, don't confess that. That'll make you have allergies. No, you have allergies. If you have allergies, you have allergies. If you have a broken hip, you have a broken hip. If you have a, a cyst on your ovary, you have a cyst on your ovary. If you have cancer, you have cancer. It's not denying those things. If your marriage, your children, your, your mental life, if you're depressed, you're depressed. It's not saying I'm not depressed in Jesus' name. It's saying there's a higher reality that I'm going to choose to look towards and live towards, okay? Jesus never denies the presence of the demonic. He never denies the presence of disease. What he says is there's a greater presence here. We think, we think um, deliverance comes by casting something out. Well, deliverance comes by bringing something in that pushes that out. If we concentrate on pushing out cancer, we don't concentrate on receiving the Lord, we could be cancer-free and still miserable human beings. The gospel of the good news isn't that we get healed 
physically, although that's a part of it, that's a result of it. The gospel of the good news spirit guide and as a good, good father. All right? So Jesus doesn't re- deny reality. Facts don't oppose faith. But if you're declaring the facts all the time, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor. I will never have a future. I will never do better in my life. Those are faith statements based on your projection, not on your father's projection. So we look in the past and we say, this is my past. So therefore, I'm a failure now because I was a failure then. And I will be a failure in the future at any given thing. It could be finances. It could be my health. It could be my relationships. It could be my ministry. But, but God has no sense of your past and God doesn't see you in your present. He's talking to you as if you were future, which as we learned a month ago, that that's a saint he's talking to somebody that struggled that then he talks to us on a very pure level. That's why we can't hear him very often. Cause we're thinking we're thinking many of us believe that God sounds like the devil and the devil speaks to us. We're like, yes, God, yes, Lord, you're right. I should be punished. I should be diseased. I should have. I should be exposed. I should be. And, and we're really mistaken in that. And it's often because we're looking at uh, the reality of right now. Okay, so let's see. I'm just going to skip some of the so. It is not aimed just at this dad. It's aimed at the the disciples. It's probably aimed at the. Uh, the 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 lawyers or the le- religious experts, and it's probably aimed at just the crowd also. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This is what we often focus on. It's, oh, you unbelievers. He's just making a statement, but he's still saying, bring the boy to me. Just because we're unbelieving doesn't mean we don't bring and come to him. But we feel unbelieving, so we don't go to him. We go to him, and we actually increase our faith. It, it takes a seed of faith to go to him. And the more we go to him, the more faith our faith increases. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Get this. Their hope is that Jesus, the disciples could do something. Actually, it says originally they brought, I brought the boy to see Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, so the disciples prayed for him. The disciples have already had experience in casting out demons and healing the sick. They prayed for the boy, expecting that the boy would be healed, and he's not. All right? But then Jesus gets there, and he's not healed. He actually gets worse right in front of everybody. And, and so we have all these times to, to like bring our faith back in. We can, the boy can come and look for Jesus. Jesus isn't there, so the disciples, he can say, I'm going to take my boy back. He could. The disciples could pray for him. Nothing happens. He could say, I'm going to take faith. When Jesus shows up and asks these questions and the boy starts getting worse, we do that all the time. We withdraw our faith. We say, I'm going to pray for this person in my life. I'm going to pray for my relationship. I'm going to pray for my health. I'm going to pray for my job. I'm going to pray for my community. I'm going to pray for this I'm going to ask God for gifts that that have been prophesied over me or a future that's been prophesied over me. And we pray, but we start seeing things happen and we pull back that faith. We have a term for it. It's called sour grapes. We want something. We We want to be successful in a job. And then we get there and it's sour grapes and it's our every boss, the next 12 bosses, it's his fault. The next three marriages we have, it's their fault. All the experiences we have, it's somebody else's fault. It's never us. It's sour grapes. Now I don't want it anymore. I used to want to have a nicer house or a nicer car, but now I don't want that. Those people are greedy. 
Those people are selfish. Those people robbed other people to get their money. It's a sour grape thing. So we had all these opportunities. And it's a really important, um, really interesting uh, thing that happens here. And it's a really good, it's a really good experience for us that if you say you have a, a, a dynamic right here, like that, then there's a gap and you don't like where you're at, but you're towards your future you. You step towards, he's giving you faith and you step towards. We think when we step out of this area, oh, it's going to be so much better and better and better. And now it's great. Now I have the marriage I like. Now I have the body I like. Now I have the finances I like. It's not that way. We're so comfortable in this spot. This, this faithless spot, this spot of pain, that as soon as we begin to try to get out of pain, we are actually in more pain. It hurts, and it often hurts. It's like walking through mud all the way here, all the way, and then boom, then there's something drastic, and then you become an instant success, and you feel peace, or you, or, or you have the job. So there's a good example. I didn't know my mom and dad were going to be here, but Chuck Yeager in 1947 breaks a sound barrier, all right? And there's a story that when he's in this, when he's in this plane and um, that everything begins to rattle, the rivets start shaking all, 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 all the, all the frame, the whole thing, all of his, uh, his um, instruments go haywire. And I, I, I got to think he's thinking that just two days before he broke two ribs while horseback riding after dinner with his wife. He didn't tell anybody because he knew he wouldn't let him fly. So he went to a doctor out of town. He got, he got wrapped up. He told his wife and his best friend, his best friend who's a pilot, actually has to rig up to shut the door for him so he can get in there. He's flying. He has to be thinking about that. When do I hear before that, 1946, another famous pilot tried a very similar plane to do the same thing, and he died in that plane. So he's had all these things working to, for him to stop, to stay in. I tried. I didn't do it. What happens when he breaks the sound barrier? All of a sudden, everything's fine. There's no noise. It's the most peaceful everything's ever been. When we see when we see change that way, that we're walking towards something, it's really a good like. So so instead of confessing, oh, this is so hard, it's getting harder. It's like I stepped out in faith and the louder it gets, the harder it gets, the closer I'm getting to breakthrough, the closer. So we can start rejoicing when breakthrough comes. So. When Jesus enters the room, there's often a violent reaction. There's a violent reaction. Our, our, our relationships get worse. When we invite Jesus into the room, often our relationships get worse. When somebody's addicted and they have something radical happen, they're no longer addicted, what happens to all their relationships that they created when they were addicted? They all get bad fast. So when, when Jesus enters the room, things begin to change bad because there's a violent situation happening. Jesus doesn't come in and go, come on in, little baby. Shh, everything's okay. He comes in violently and he takes it over by force. So, and I hope you can be honest. This is my area of pain. This is, this is where I live in pain regularly. This is what bothers my mind. This is what disturbs my emotions. My physical body is doing this to me. And, but, but see, whenever, whenever you're in that, there's a comfort level. And the world would like to tell us, that's just your lot in life. You need to try these 1,500 different things. You need to try this pill. You need to do this. You need to stay away from Instead of going, you need to turn to Jesus. And religion has worked hard at saying physical healing isn't necessary. 
physical healing died out with the apostles. Physical healing, there's so much falseness out there, which is true. That's a fact. It doesn't make it true, though, that this guy didn't get healed. Now, if we, if we had seen this story and there's no Jesus involved, it's just a doctor, Dr. Crandall. Jeff gets rushed in. Dr. Crandall, a massive heart attack. He collapses. Dr. Crandall comes in, resuscitates him. On Monday, walks in, and the guy's fine. We would go, those doctors. I, I don't have any doubt that that happened. But he's dead, and he's the doctors are walking away, and he comes in and lays hands on him, and they put a paddle on him again. We doubt that that could happen. We have no doubt that your hip can be replaced. Or we have no doubt that a doctor can put can happen. But when we say that you can lay hands on somebody and their spine can be reshaped and they won't need surgery because God's manifesting his presence in their body, we're like, I don't know about that. And we, we really struggle a lot with that. And so good, <clears throat> good theology on our part uh, helps us to believe more. Helps us to receive more of, of Him and activate our faith more often. It's very clear. No matter what we, no matter what we can't get away from as His followers. So we think that being a follower of Jesus is being nice and polite and not racist and don't use cuss words and don't get drunk. Which that morality and that holiness is all fine, but then it leaves us weak and without power. We're supposed to walk in power of the Holy Spirit. So. Let's see, let's continue on with the scripture. I'm going to end. Let's see. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? So I think this is so funny. Uh, somebody, I mean, if somebody fell down in front of you, foaming at the mouth, kicking, screaming, and yelling, and somebody brought them to you and you could touch them and have it be done, Jesus doesn't have to do that. Just like he doesn't go raise Lazarus from the dead, he just waits. He waits. Jesus is not rushed. By your need. There's something that God is doing. He wants you to come before him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus answers, if you can. So, Jesus, I want you to hear that if you can. If you can? It's not like if you. It's, it's like if you can. It's like, of course I can. It's a duh moment. Jesus is like, duh. I'm Jesus. I can heal him. I want you to hear that. It's not like. Well, if you can, because we always say, if you can, Jesus, heal them. And Jesus is like, duh, I can heal them. I can heal you. I, we, how, how is it that we believe that we're going somewhere in eternal life, but that he can't be present here to free me from my depression or my mental illness? or my? It doesn't make any sense. But we've made it made sense by using scripture to oppose the very thing God would have for us. So in this moment here, if you can do anything, I want you to get the, the intonation. My mom would always say, watch your tone. And I never understood that for a lot of years. A lot of things my mom said I didn't understand. Um, but the one with the tone, so you can go and you can say, Victoria left the room and shut the door. And you get a picture of that. Oh, Victoria left the room and shut the door. It's a whole nother. She slammed the door and was super mad till she walked out and shut the door. So in the tone here, Jesus is like, of course I can. And then he says, does it say that? It doesn't. We think it's possible for Jesus. And Jesus is actually saying, no, it's not possible for me alone. Everything's possible for you if you believe. 
And in Mark, we, we've talked a lot, not a lot, but I've referenced it a lot. They come and ask Jesus, what can we do to uh, be engaged in these great works? He's like, believe in the one that God sent. That's Jesus. So our belief is in Jesus. Jesus, our faith is the key, key that connects us to the power of Jesus. So when we're praying for people, we're connected to that power. We extend our faith by saying, can I pray for you? We also, if we're sick, we extend our faith by saying, can you pray for me? And we also extend our faith by saying, I'm going to lay hands on myself and bless my own self. You don't have to wait around for anybody to bless you. You don't have to wait around for Sunday. You don't have to wait around for some good person to pray for you. You can wait around for a, somebody that has very little faith. <laughs> and you can turn around at any moment where everything looks dead and you can walk back and say, I want to pray for this one more time and have something happen. So, Jesus is saying here, it's not about his ability, it's about your faith. He is able. Again in scripture it says, if you're willing, and he kind of has another dub moment, of course I'm willing. So we find out that Jesus is both willing and he's able to heal us and are healed. I think a lot of it is because we have zero expectation for people to be healed. You know, have you ever talked to somebody that's looking for a job? but they have no expectation they'll get a job and all their language is around they're not going to get a job. And then you have other people like Francisco who's out of work and he's always thinking he's getting a job. He's always looking for a job. He's going to, I mean, he really did, right? It was, he was, I mean, I'm sure he had to be discouraged, but, but it's, it's, there's something in our faith that when we start saying, I believe in healing, we will see more healing. And then when we say, I, have, I believe I have a tiny bit of faith that I will extend out. And what's interesting now is we don't have to. We can, we can text somebody and say, I'm praying for you about this. And, and, and we can hear something. In one moment, in one conversation, we could be, the next day we can be thinking, oh, I hope Bob is okay with blank. And instead of just saying, I hope. I hope is not a prayer, by the way. I, I, I hope is just hope. Be saying, Jesus' name, God bless, and begin to speak over him and write out a text and shoot it to him. I'm thinking about you. And, and, and we've, got, we've got great opportunity and, um, to expand the kingdom of God. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm gonna end with this right here. In verse, it's finished. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. It's like, I do believe! It's like, I do believe, help my unbelief. He immediately has both. And what we've been taught is you have to only believe, you can't disbelieve. But we, if we walk in the reality that I disbelieve a lot, and I believe, and it pulls me back and forth, like if this, if this is like my spot right here I'm trying to get to, and I step out, my belief pulls me towards over that faith gap. And my unbelief comes in, it pulls me back. And I get pulled out because I hear a message or I get prayed for and it's encouraging. I step out and it's something happens to me. So my disbelief comes in and pulls me this way. Then I hear a good message. I get a prophetic word. Somebody lays hands on me. I feel all right. And I step out a little bit. And then I read a scripture and somebody, a pastor says, oh, demons aren't real. Healing's not real. They all died out with the last apostle. And I step back. And then what happens with us as Christians, we know when we read that we're his children, we're singing, you're a good, good God, and yet we're being taught he's not that good and he's mad at you. So we actually step further often than a non-believer would. would, would we fall into further depression, further turmoil than a non-believer would because we step out of that. Because they, they don't believe he exists or they don't believe he's a good God or they don't believe that he's died for them, but we do. And then we're told... 
just have to wait till you die. Your death is more powerful than the death of Jesus. So at your, at your death, you'll defeat cancer and depression, but not at, not at his death. Um, so it says here, Ah, I want to go to verse 21 just a little bit before that. I, I, I'm, I'm going to end with this. I want to pray this. Jesus asked the, boy, asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He doesn't say take pity on my son. He doesn't say take pity on, on he doesn't say help my son. Man, I saw this for the first time reading this the other day. It's like super bizarre, isn't it? It's like, so if your son, Stevie's son has autism. So when we pray, we pray, God, that, 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 that Johnny has words. Johnny has the ability to look people in the eye and pray, right? And, and to speak and to share and to relate and to thrive. We speak that over him, all right? But what happens, and Stevie has shared this before, when you have a son with autism or you have a family member that has cancer, what happens to the entire family? It, it impacts the entire family, when you have a divorce, when you have a break, when you have abuse, when you have it's all it it and so when we pray, it's not we don't we don't want to just pray help them, it's help us. It's help us, heal us. And so the world's kind of got that oh, it's happy if one person's offended, the whole world's offended. It's, but but there's there's something in that for us when we're praying for our spouses, for our children, for unity, for things like that, is to ask Jesus to heal us. And to be so empathetic and compassionate and passionate um, that we include that member into that healing. Isn't that awesome? That's a good message. <laughs> so, thanks, Mom. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, that's real. That's powerful. I mean, I, I'm so, I, I'm so uh, excited about studying and about reading uh, about healing outside of the context of having to hear a denomination tell me something and stuff like that. So I've been, uh, I actually have a lot more here, but I'm going to go ahead, just go ahead and stand up. I want you to remember when you ask Jesus, uh, if you can, he's saying, duh, I can. All right. He's saying, of course I can. So just close your eyes. So, Father God, we, we declare that you can do something, that you can do everything. That even when we ask if you can, you are answering us. Help us to not answer ourselves that when we ask if you can, we answer, no, you can't, or you don't want to. But Father God, it says here in your scripture, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So, Father, we declare that you can, you will, you want to. We declare, Father God, that you've already shown your compassion towards us with sending Jesus and then sending the Holy Spirit, a comforter, a guide, a healer. You've already taken residence in us and shown compassion and honor to us and in dwelling within us and flowing through us onto the world. That you've helped us already, Father God, and we want to use our faith to access that help for ourselves, body, soul, and spirit. But we want, we want more than enough. We want overflowing presence of God flowing through us, Father God. 
that when we hear the shrieking sound of what we're praying for and the, and the, and the explosive, uh, demonic, emotional, soulish activity that pushes out of us out of the game and out of pursuing uh, the, the, the greater life, the abundant life, that we will just celebrate and be aware that victory is just around the corner, that, that, that ch- our children are, are, are about ready to come to their senses, that our, that our, that our future is based not on, not on us and what we've done, but on who you are and who you're calling to be. And our faith attaches us to your vision of our future. We thank you for that. area of our life, including all of our problems, that we're not brought down by our problems. We're not brought down by our past experiences. We don't have to be attached to our memories. We don't have to be attached to our sins. We don't have to be attached to our weaknesses. That we can walk in a, in a supernatural strength that is a, a, is a joy in our step and a peace in our heart and happiness in our countenance, Father God. So we thank you for that. In your son's name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um,